Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. November is Family Caregivers Awareness Month, in addition to Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month. And what do those two things have in common? Well, unfortunately, as some of our folks in Hawaii start to have some memory issues, their family often has to step up and provide additional hours of unpaid care just to make sure that their loved ones can stay home and age in place or still be a productive member of the family and be somebody that they can enjoy spending their advanced years with. Now, today we're going to be talking about what are the current issues with Alzheimer's disease, the diagnosis, but also some of the controversies around medication that has been developed. And we'll also talk about the Alzheimer's Association of Hawaii and what programs they have to offer and what services are available locally here already. Today, we have Dr. Corey Liao. He is the Director and Principal Investigator, Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience. He is a Clinical Professor of Medicine and Graduate Faculty Clinical and Translational Research at the University of Hawaii, John Byrne School of Medicine. That's a mouthful, Dr. Liao. <laughs> and we also have LJ Duenas. He is the Executive Director of the Alzheimer's Association of Hawaii for about the last two and a half years. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thank you. Now, I always like to start with the basics. You know, I forget where I put stuff all the time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I have Alzheimer's. LJ, how would you define Alzheimer's? Um, well, Alzheimer's is um, a form of dementia. Uh, dementia is an umbrella term, and obviously there are many types of dementia. So Alzheimer's is a neurodegenerative disease that affects um, memory, uh, behavior, and um, personality traits uh, for a person um, who is impacted by this disease. And Dr. Leo, who are the most common folks who might get diagnosed with this? Yeah, so uh, that's just so well said, uh, LJ. To add to that, uh, the most common folks are people 65 years and older. It is said that uh, the risk increases with age such that anyone who is 65, one in eight people over 65, and then if you're over 85 years old, one in three people. But if you get to 95 years old, one to two people. And it, it is such an epidemic in our country because every 69 seconds, someone in America is diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia. And how are they diagnosed? I mean, I think very often there's a lot of folks who you know, might get labeled with dementia because they're forgetting stuff or they're just not remembering things. But Alzheimer's is a fairly particular type of dementia. Well, thank you for asking. That's such an important question that I get every day talking with my patients and the caregiver because every day I would get somebody coming up concerned about mom or dad, you know. So let's talk about memory loss and what is normal aging memory loss and what is abnormal aging memory loss. So, for example, when mom forgets where they put things, you know, uh, where they parked the car at Alamona parking lot, that's that's okay. However, if they forgot how they, to drive a car, forgot how to get home in a car, that's different. Or some normal aging memory loss is when they forget where to put it, but eventually they could think about where, okay, maybe it was in this room, that room. They could trace it back and they could find it. In somebody with Alzheimer's, they could not even trace that and find that. So it's really important, first thing of all, is to sort out what's normal aging memory loss. When we get older, our capacity 
to store memory is reduced as well our speed of processing is reduced but other than that the short-term memory should still be intact but in Alzheimer's dementia the memory is very specific the memory loss is very specific to short-term memory so it's equivalent LJ would be like if somebody said hey what did you eat for breakfast this morning and someone went did I even eat breakfast versus somebody saying you know my favorite thing to eat is ham and eggs or something there might be an immediacy to their memory difficulties Yes, and you know, um, just to add to uh, what Dr. Liao has shared, um, there's a repetitive in, repetitiveness in questioning. Um, so they would ask you a question, and in a few minutes they will ask you the same question. Um, or, um, you know, as Dr. Liao had also pointed out, where they may uh, not know how to drive a car. Um, so if they parked at perhaps Alamoana, they may not even remember that they came in a car. Not knowing how they got there, mm-hmm. but then having operated a vehicle to get there. That that sounds kind of scary. Now, if somebody has memory problems, what process do you go through at your facility, Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, to help define whether or not it's Alzheimer's or a different type of dementia? Because I know in my practice, and I've been at Straub for about 22 years now, I have I have had a couple of patients who have had different types of dementia and frontotemporal lobe dementia and mm-hmm. you know I I did not recognize it as different than mm-hmm. Alzheimer's in the beginning mm-hmm. and luckily we had some great team of neurologists that were helping with some of these situations mm-hmm. because sometimes it does kind of they all seem to blend together a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So um Luckily, at the Memory Disorder Center, we are really passionate about sorting these things out. Like LJ said, dementia is an umbrella term. Like, like there could be Alzheimer's, there could be frontotemporal dementia, there could be Lewy body dementia, there could be, could be other types of dementia. So the first thing that we really want to do is to sort these things out with testing and asking the questions, you know. So uh, a good... A diagnostician, a good neurologist would really be able to sort things out. It's from the history alone. It would be um, p- the the patients would be asking the same questions again and again, or asking like LJ said, repetitive questions. So the history is really important in patients with frontotemporal dementia. For example, is the behavior, you know, the the disruptive, the disinhibited behavior that's really disruptive. While in Alzheimer's patient, that's not really the case. So taking a good history is so important. This is then followed by testing. We would do an MRI of the brain. We would look at and sit down with a patient going over the part of the brain, the memory part of the brain. This could also be followed by some blood testing because things like hormonal disorder, thyroid, vitamin deficiency could also uh, lead to memory loss. So these are things that we don't want to miss because they're certainly treatable. And sometimes we also follow it with an EEG because the EEG allows us to look at brain activities. In Alzheimer's patients, there's decrease in the brain activities. And with this test and also a good history, nothing replaces a good history. We'll hope to make a good diagnosis because everything that we do for our patients, the treatment, the option, the discussion, the prognosis, really rests on making the right diagnosis early on. 
Well, I would agree with that. And I do think that making the diagnosis correctly is how we lead to hopefully helping to figure out what the next step in the treatment and plan is going to be. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about what are some of the treatment options available and what are some of the controversies about whether or not these options are great for everybody or maybe just a select few. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with LJ Duenas. He is the Executive Director of the Alzheimer's Association of Hawaii. And I'm also here with Dr. Corey Liao. He is the head founder of Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience and current director and principal investigator, and also holds educational posts at the University of Hawaii, John Byrne School of Medicine. Right before the break, we were talking about what do you do when you start to have some memory problems, and how do we differentiate that medically from different types of dementia? And we were talking a little bit about other types of memory loss. And Dr. Liao, you mentioned history is everything. And I, I would agree with you there. It's a lot of the family caregivers that we often wind up getting history from to figure out what is the diagnosis and how is that made. Now, LJ, I'm curious because once the diagnosis is determined, there's a lot of stress that goes on with family members. And the fact that they have a loved one who now has this this illness often leads them to wonder what sort of services are available and where can they get more information. And that's where the Alzheimer's Association of Hawaii has really been stellar in trying to provide that. How do people tap into those resources? Thank you for that question. Um, Well, they could simply give us a call. Uh, You know, we have a 24-7 helpline. That number is 800-272-3900. We have dementia experts that um, uh, field that line 24-7, 365 days a year. And we have a program we call, or a service, um, we call a care consultation. So with the care consultation, um, families or a family member who is concerned about their loved one can have a discussion with a dementia expert and talk about some of the plans that needs to um, start to fall into place to ensure that the person with dementia is able to make decisions um, as they, you know, if they still are able to, uh, financial or legal decisions or um, discussions that they could have with their family. Um, you know, I think many times um, if a diagnosis is, is too late, you know, there are certain things that um, are unfortunate that has have happened to families, whether it's financial or legal uh, challenges, um, you know, when, when faced with a, with a diagnosis uh, so late, right? What might be some of those challenges? Uh, this could be, you know, um, um, having to place them in a facility that, of course, is obviously going to be very expensive. Um, there are certain things that have to happen before a a person with dementia is able to access federal benefits or, or assistance, right? Um, whether it's, of course, um, you know, moving moving assets to other family members or to a trust uh, to ensure that you know when it time when comes when the time comes for them to uh, need these services that they are uh, financial financially um, eligible to to receive these services. 
So it sounds like a lot of important things needs to take place with family members so that they can prepare in advance and that the person who was diagnosed has an opportunity to still have their wishes known. Yes, yes, definitely. And we want to make sure that um, that the person with dementia has that ability to, to have that discussion with their family members and be a part of that decision-making process. And if I may add also that we often forget uh, that Alzheimer's affect more than just the person. It's really the family, you know, that, that surrounding them because they are left with the burden of caring for the patient. And uh, at the later stages, there's behavioral issues that really disrupt the family. So uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm so glad that LJ is here to uh, stress the importance of the caregiver, the family, and to reach out to uh, the resources early on because um, I often found that it's so much easier when we can bring all these resources and information to the family early on, you know, reaching out to the Alzheimer's Association, uh, reaching out to the various um, uh, resources in, uh, in the community. So, so thank you so much for that, LJ. Thank you. Well, now, once somebody has had that diagnosis and maybe their family has tapped into the wonderful advice that the Alzheimer's Association of Hawaii can provide as far as what options are available in programs and services. There's also medications that might be started, and there's been a bit of a controversy about medicines recently, and there may be some ways that we can help locally here to further some of the research that's going on with some of the new medicines out there. So your center is one of the only ones, I think, in the state that's that's working on doing some of the testing with the medication that came out over the summer. So tell me more about that. What controversy, Dr. Gose? <laughs> There's no controversy. Yeah, controversy what are you talking at all. about? You're right. um, no. Uh, all, all, um, joking aside, uh, it's been uh, quite a quite quite a season for especially for our patients uh, with the June approval of Educanumat um, by the FDA. Uh, so the controversy was really about the process of approval, what they call accelerated approval. Um, the initial assessment by the uh, team was that the uh, Educanumab did not show efficacy in clinical trials, what we call results, positive results. But obviously, FDA uh, sort of turned around and approved the drug based on how the uh, during the clinical trial for the 3,000 patients, uh, how the drug reduced the amyloid burden on the PET scan, PET, um, you know, on the PET scan. So it was approved, and um, obviously, it, it 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 potentially plays significant burden, financial burden on the payers for $56,000 a year. Uh, that's just the cost of the drug, but also the cost of the MRI monitoring, the the burden of getting the CSF amyloid. Uh, obviously, there's the you know the danger, the 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 difficulty. Um, you know, thirty percent of patients did show swelling in the brain. You know, during the clinical trials. So, um, so therefore, uh, we the community as a as a physician, as a memory neurologist, and the community, we have kind of uh, being stuck in this middle. You know, what do we do with our patients who wants the drug? What do we? How do we monitor them now that they're approved? You know, so. Um, uh, but all in all, we 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 are in the process of trying to make this drug available to the state. Um, you know, working with the company, the way that I see it, um, because personally, I I am not uh, I'm not afraid 
who used the drug because this is what I do as a uh, research neurologist. This is what I do clinical trials. I do it all the time. Uh, but we do it in a very safe way. We monitor them. So the way that I see a road moving forward for our state is to be able to provide this medication, but in a very monitored situation. That is part of a clinical trial. Thankfully, uh, FDA does put a requirement on the sponsor or Biogen to conduct these clinical trials to collect the data. So we're currently working with them to be able to facilitate this so that Hawaii still be able to get this medication at no expense to the payer. And we still have the capability to monitor the results, especially the MRI results and the cognitive data. Because if it's been given um, in outside the setting of clinical trials, we don't know if it works, you know, and it's difficult to monitor the MRI, although they say before the 7 and the 12 infusion, you're supposed to get an MRI, but who's reading it, you know, and um, so there's just a lot of moving parts. I think if we're going to do it, I think it's best done in the setting of a clinical trial being um, monitored by FDA in a very controlled situation. Uh, so. Um, I'm somewhat excited about it because this opportunity exists and we're looking forward to uh, many partners in the community to make it happen, to make this accessible to our patients. Well, and you brought up a really good point, which is if people are getting the medication already and they're not necessarily part of a clinical trial, there may not be a collection of data. And the one thing that came out of the FDA approval is that there might be certain segments of the population with this diagnosis who may do very well. But if you put all of the different stages of the diagnosis together, then you start to see that those improvements for certain groups kind of sort of get equaled out with people who don't show improvement. And unless you're careful with who gets the medication, it might not be given to the right person, in which case... You might not have that. And then if you don't know what happened to them or what their course of illness could be, that this is a great way to do the real-time, real-world studies while people have access to the medication. Because, you know, part of what I think the, the idea was, hey, look, we know that people with Alzheimer's get these plaques and tangles in their brain. We know that people who have Alzheimer's tend to have memory loss. I wonder if reducing plaques and tangles could reduce memory loss. That's sort of the thought process behind it. And so without having a large enough population to do the studies on, you'll never know. You are absolutely correct, Dr. Kozak, because the, in the studies, it shows that patients on high dose, 10 milligrams uh, per kilogram, uh, responded to the drug. They show efficacy while patients on 6 milligrams and 3 milligrams did not respond. So, um, so this is the only way to really figure this out is to really do it in a setting of a clinical trial. And But since it's approved, uh, I'm concerned about the amount of data out there. So I am an advocate for uh, good data, good science. And thank you for bringing out about the, uh, the issues of surrogate biomarker. As you know, amyloid and tau are what we call surrogate biomarker. And um, at this point, we don't yet know if amyloid and tau are the suitable surrogate marker, and uh, there's really no way to tell at this time. So um, I think the verdict is still out there, and um, I'm, I'm neither an advocate for Biogen or uh, against it, you know, but I'm just an advocate for science and collecting data. So thank you for bringing up that point. 
Well, and we all we all want to follow the science. And haven't we learned a lot in the last year and a half during a pandemic about doing real world studies and trying to follow science? All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what is the next step if you or a loved one starts to hear about Alzheimer's that becomes a part of your reality. What can you do and what are some of the resources available and what might we be looking to create in the future? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and November is Family Caregivers Awareness Month and also Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month. And today we are going to be talking, continuing our discussion with L.J. Duenas, Executive Director of the Alzheimer's Association of Hawaii, and also Dr. Corey Liao. He is the Director and Principal Investigator at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, and he also helps participate in the educational process here in the islands with the John A. Burns School of Medicine. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the medications that are being made available as part of a clinical trial to help deal with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's and hopefully help to track how people are doing. You know, I always think that when we look at, you know, my practice for, for treating high blood pressure, for example, I've got a lot of years of experience using certain medications, and I can bring that to patients and say, this is in general what I see. And the power of research studies is that it's not just me as a one doctor, but it's here's what the studies show across the entire U.S. about all doctors who use these particular blood pressure medications. And this is all the example that we have of how it works and what the side effects and the benefits are. So that power of evidence is really something that I think brings a lot to treatments that we're starting to develop and we're starting to look at for people with this diagnosis. And that being said, it's not all about medication. And there are some other other issues that arise that sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, LJ, that people don't think about until until it's kind of gotten a little further down the road. So earlier on, you mentioned that having those discussions with people that while they still have their abilities to make their wishes known and or to to make some financial decisions for themselves are important. But there's also the reality of where we're at now and where we need to be in the future. And I think you know, we don't have enough caregivers. We don't have enough people that that have the time and availability to provide the level of service for every single person who needs it that we would want to do if it were even our own parents. Where where do you think we're going to be in the next few years? As we see more people diagnosed with Alzheimer's, as we see the population aging, not just locally here in the islands, but, but throughout the entire United States and in some cases the world, where do you what do you think the Alzheimer's Association is going to look like in the next five ten years, and how do we get there? Well, you know, for for many years, the Alzheimer's Association has been focused on individual and family care, right? And just in these past few years, I've been with the organization. We have started to work with um, health systems, um, as you had shared, or you and Doctor Liao had discussed earlier about aducanumab or aduhelm. You know, this is just the first step, right? There are going to be other discoveries that we are extremely excited about. 
And one key message that we, we have for the community is, is, you know, awareness and early diagnosis because that's the only, um, you know, the efficacy of the drug um, was, was effective only in the early stages of, of MCI or, or Alzheimer's. Um, there will be a wave of, of uh, folks that are going to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's as we come out of this pandemic and as diagnostic tests becomes available uh, to determine if, in fact, a person is at risk of developing Alzheimer's or if they have, you know, these biomarkers um, that, you know, would predict p potential uh, Alzheimer's diagnosis in the near future. So we are currently working to help health systems build that infrastructure. What that is going to start to look like, um, you know, we can look at other uh, associations and how they've put into place standards of care and, and, and guidelines to support uh, caregivers, clinicians, providers, um, and payers uh, to, to better serve, you know, this population, including caregivers, of course. Well, it takes a village, and I think we're now seeing that this multifaceted approach, the team approach in medicine is really ideal, not just having one patient and one provider, but having there be a whole team of, you know, psychologists, behaviorists, nurse practitioners, physicians, all different providers, social workers, and case managers and all these types of folks working together to really try and rally around either a patient or a condition to help provide some of that additional support that seems to be necessary. What do you hope to see, Dr. Liao, in the treatment? Because I know we've just really started to look at getting ahead of it. You know, I know for years there were medicines that were often started when people had memory issues, but by then, you know, it might be a little too late and they they did have some significant side effects, and some of those side effects made them not necessarily the most feasible to use. But, you know, if we project forward in five, ten years, where do you think we're headed with the treatment? That's a great question. Uh, as uh, LJ alluded to, you know, the key is really in early diagnosis. Most people doesn't realize that, Dr. Kozak, that the process of Alzheimer's started as early as 10 to 20 or even 25 years before somebody gets memory loss. You know, so um, uh, I've been involved in clinical trials for the last 30, almost 30 years, and um, the trend of, of developing uh, innovative treatment is to really capture these patients early on. So early diagnosis and awareness. Uh, so I'm so grateful for Organizational Alzheimer's Association, which has such advocate of, of early detection, early awareness. So take, for example, of the 30,000 patients in Hawaii that put, put potential Alzheimer's dementia, I would say about, that's a tip of the iceberg, I would say about 50 to 80% of Alzheimer's patients are undiagnosed in Hawaii because of the stigma, because of the uh, uh, denial, you know, especially in the, uh, perhaps in the Asian culture, you know, uh, you know, we, we're not supposed to talk about this, you know, that's, that's, that's safe face for, for the mom and dad, you know. So uh, it, it is really, um, but in terms of science, I'm really excited because uh, we are involved in um, the clinical trials were part of some exciting research that LJ was alluding to uh, that could potentially uh, change the course, which is not just uh, unlike the current approved medication that are just 
increasing the chemicals in between the brain cells, this um, new medications could potentially what we call disease modifying, modify the course of disease by trying to break up the proteins or stop the proteins. You know, so I'm really excited about some of the clinical trials looking at neurometabolic pathway uh, um, affecting the sugar, glucose in the brain, uh, looking at drugs that could potentially regenerate some of the nerve synaptogenesis, dendritic uh, aberization, you know, uh, even in later stages of Alzheimer's repairing the nerve. So um, these are some of the exciting clinical trials that we are undertaking, and we're so fortunate to be able to bring it to Hawaii for our patients. If people want to get more information, how can they? Well, please call us at the Memory Disorder Center or the Alzheimer's Research Unit at 808-564-6141. And LJ, if they want to get more information on the Alzheimer's Association, where can they find that? You can visit us online at alz.org slash Hawaii or call us 24-7 at 800-272-3900. All right. Well, I definitely want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today, talking about this very important topic as it is certainly all of us are going to be affected in some way, either ourselves or our loved ones or a family member with aging. And the process of aging may lead to a higher risk of developing Conditions that we need to know about early. So thanks to both of you for that. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. And our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. See you next week. Mm-hmm.